a parent's room on the other side, and that was terrifying because it was pitch black. It was, I, as a parent, I'm like, where were the nightlights? I don't know. Maybe they didn't have those in the 80s. I don't know. But I'm thinking, I, I remember peeking out the door, and I didn't just walk down the hall. I sprinted, right? I ran because the dark is terrifying. Anybody, anybody agree with that? It, it was just a couple of weeks ago. I was actually at Grace Community Church out in Westmobile, and I was there late at night, and I had to lock it up, and I had to turn off a light in the back of the church. If you've been there, it's a creepy place with the lights out. So I walk through this church, the lights are out, and I must admit, I was kind of afraid. I was kind of scared. It was dark. It was scary. Um, many of us are afraid of the dark, and not just kids. Um, our text today is about darkness. Um, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of, it was deep darkness. Um, when darkness takes over, at first it's terrifying, but if darkness persists and sets in, it, it becomes hopeless. It becomes despairing because all you see and all you know is darkness. It's despair. It's hopelessness. It's powerlessness. I, I can't see. I can't do anything. I, I'm fumbling my way like a little kid trying to find some lights or my parents. And we're hopeless. Um, this, this, if you know the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of difficult things happening. And Isaiah 9 comes to give us a glimmer of hope and light in the middle of darkness. You say, well, why was there darkness? Why was it a land of deep darkness? Two reasons. The outside world was very dark. The people of God, for context, were divided into two, kingdom, two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and both of them were experiencing warfare. The northern kingdom literally heard verse 5. It says, for every boot of trampling warrior in battle tumult. It's like this. They heard the footsteps of the soldiers outside of Israel. The Assyrians were coming, and if you know your history, they came and they conquered Israel. So there is war surrounding the people in the northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom also had war. It was war from the northern kingdom and from the nation of Syria. They had aligned together against the southern kingdom. God's people were fighting each other and it was battle and it was war. It was a land of deep darkness and fear and anxiety. Can you imagine? We, we see war on TV. Can you imagine our nation knowing there, there are armies all around us encamping us? It was deep darkness. But it wasn't just deep darkness out there. It was deep darkness in the hearts of their own people. Israel and Judah, the southern kingdom, will be uh, judged because of the, hardened, the darkness within. Listen to how Isaiah starts. Isaiah 1, verse 4. Just listen to this. This is what the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah. O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord and have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. This is not the pagan nations. This is the people of God. This is how the book starts. They had turned to worship idols. They had become synchronistic. They had taken the God of Israel and they combined it with pagan gods and said, let's just, we'll just merge. Their hearts had become darkened. 
Scary world, dark world outside. Scary world, dark world inside. Their sin was overflowing. Our world's different. Certainly different. But not that different, right? I mean, have you, do you watch the news? Like, it's just confession. If I watch, even the headlines, if I, if I spend more than 20 minutes, I become depressed. I mean, the darkness is overwhelming. I mean, you, you, can, you can cursory, you know, go to the mine and shut off the heart and just read this situation, murder, violence, abuse, death, tragedy, disease, genocide, oppression. I mean, you can read it like that. But if you actually feel it, it's despairing. It's overwhelming. Violence, brokenness, difficulty. Um, it, it, it's, it's darkness. It, to not know our world is darkness is to be, uh, uh, to be naive. Just to have your head in the sand. It's, it's to miss the reality of our world. It's a dark place. Light comes in dark places. And so what do you do when the world's dark? The, the culture says, and even religion says, go, go within. Go within and find a safe place. The world's scary. Find a spark of light. Find some inner sanctity. Find a, a safe place where you can deal with difficulty and darkness. Because you can't handle all of the darkness out there. Find it within. But what's the problem? The chaos in the world out there came from the chaos in our own world and our own hearts. Like, the, what we see on the news, what we read, is a picture of our own hearts displayed. It's our hearts writ large across the TV, across the internet, of what our hearts are doing with chaos. It's violence, it's warfare, it's destruction. It's what we see. The world is a product of our own hearts. We don't believe that, do we? I, I don't really. Like, I believe there are bad people out there doing bad things, but I don't think my own heart is playing a role in the chaos and destruction. But Scripture says it is. That's why we do this thing called confession that Josh led us in. It said we're actually worse off than we think. And, and though we're Christians are being redeemed, doing many good things. We're also contributing in many ways to darkness. It's deep, deep darkness. It's isolation. It's fear. It's the soil of our hearts. So we need something else. We need something to come in the darkness. And Isaiah 9 and our world meet at this place because Advent is about something coming in to the darkness. Something coming in and giving us a picture of Eden. A picture of what it's supposed to be. Let's look at the text. We're going to see, one, what does God do in darkness? Um, how does God do it? And finally, how do we respond? So what does God do in this context of darkness? We read verse 2. They walked in darkness. They have seen a great light. It was a land of deep darkness, and on them light has shown. Do you notice the passive nature of that? They were there and light shone upon them. It came to them. It came upon them. 
Where does light come from? Genesis 1-3, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Every morning when we wake up, darkness doesn't just say, I think I'm going to go away. Every morning, light conquers the darkness. It gains ground and overcomes and overwhelms until the whole world is illuminated, right? Every morning that happens, light enters in and overwhelms the darkness. In the context of judgment and exile, in deep darkness, light shines into that place. If you notice here in the text, um, the verb tense, it's past tense, who walked in deep darkness. They have seen. So what's going on here is Isaiah is in the moment and there's armies and battles and they're giving a vision down the road and the vision is so certain and so sure to happen, it's speaking as though it's already happened in the past tense. Does that make sense? So these people are experiencing darkness. Darkness like I just described. But Isaiah is prophesying as though it's already happened because that's how certain it is. Because the confidence is in that someone, namely God, would shine light into the darkness. God brings light in darkness. Here's the first point. God is active for His people. When we see the darkness, when we're overwhelmed with darkness in the world, in our own hearts, just like in this time, we need to know that God is on the move. God is active for us. He has not forgotten us. It wasn't, Isaiah says, um, you're in deep darkness. Here's the five steps to get you out of darkness. I've got a darkness plan. If you will follow these steps, you'll move out of darkness. He says, you're in darkness. You're rebellious. He doesn't even say, here's repentance, though repentance is a part of it. But he says, it's bleak. It's dark. It's other people doing it, and it's your own doing in your own heart. And in the midst of that, I'm going to shine light and give hope to darkness. That's hope giving. God has shown light. Listen to how it reads. Verse 3, just going to summarize. Isaiah says, You have multiplied the nation. Verse 3 again. You have increased its joy. Verse 4, The yoke of the burden of slavery. You have broken. What are God's people doing? They're not doing anything. They're sinning in rebellion against God, waiting to be judged, and God's breaking bonds and shining light. We don't like to hear that. <laughs> we like to think they were struggling and then they turned a corner. You know, they, they, it's New Year's resolution. They turned over a new leaf and they like got it together and they started being really good and really moral. The people of God, no, they didn't. This is sure grace. This is mercy of God. Verse 5, the same thing. God breaks down the war. All the bloody garments of battle. They can be thrown in the fire because God has ended the warfare. It is now peace for men. The light has shone in darkness. Um, You guys have a favorite Christmas movie? Come on, you got a favorite Christmas movie. Uh, My favorite Christmas movie uh, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And so, just tell you how spiritual I am right there. yeah, there's some things in there that aren't great, uh, you know, but it's a funny movie. And um, I, I love, you know, 
one scene I love is Clark Griswold, uh, Chevy Chase. He's, he's putting, uh, you know the movie probably, he's putting the 25,000 uh, imported Italian twinkle lights on his house. And um, he's row after row on his roof. You know, he's setting up the snowman and, and, the, and Santa with the L, I mean the, the reindeer. Uh, and he spends hours upon hours upon hours in his yard. All of that work. And he goes to plug it in, right? And he goes, what happens? Nada, nothing. Nothing happens. And he's, he tries to figure out, and what happens? He gets angry. He gets enraged. He gets hopeless. It's darkness. All this work, it's futile. Nothing happens. There's no light. You remember he gets so angry? He starts chopping the little reindeer uh, antlers. Yeah, antlers, all of them said ears. They have antlers. He's chopping them off, right? He's so frustrated. He can't make the lights come on. He can't make it light. He can't do it. Silly analogy, but it's what happens in our own lives. It's what happened here. It's not a story of God's people turning a corner. It's a story of God being so gracious and so merciful. When it was as dark, it was a land of deep darkness. Outside and inside. And God gives them light and gives them a vision and gives them a prophecy that they would have hope. I don't know how you feel. I don't know where you are, but we need hope. If we're really honest, we can pretend. We can pretend like it's okay and then we don't need a lot of hope. But if we take a true inventory of the world, outside or inside, we are desperate people. Application here. If you're a believer today, there, um, the light is shown in your heart. And it wasn't your doing. It was God's grace that you responded to by faith. And so it may feel dark, but there's a glimmer of light. And my encouragement is this Advent season, fan the flame, the flicker. Go again to the promises of God. They're true. God's faithful. Advent is meant to encourage us. For those here that, that are other than Christian today, um, you know it's dark. You live in the same world I do. Uh, give up. Surrender the search, internal, external. Surrender to the one that is the light. That's the light of the world. He is the only one that can do it. This should be encouragement to us. There's no one too far gone, too far removed from the grace of God. The darkness does not overcome the light. First thing we see is that it's dark, but God shines the light in the darkness. How does God do it? Second point, this is the great part. This is the beautiful thing here. Let's skip down to verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Again, who does it? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. He will do this. What does God do? How does God bring light? He brings a new king. It's a new king. It's a surprising king. It's a, it's a king in the form of a baby. 
uh, verse 4, 5, and 6 all begin with this word, for. For the yoke of slavery is broken. How? Verse 5, because the war is ended. How? Because a child has been given. In Hebrew, it builds. Three happens. The bondage is broken because war has ended. War has ended because a baby is born. What? Is that odd to you? That should be odd to us. And part of Advent is making that odd again. This whole baby in a manger thing, this is a scandalous deal. Like, if we lose that, it's just a happy little, this is a beautiful, we've missed it. Just one word of uh, apologetic as we engage our friends that are, not, that are not Christian. Let's own this first point. Let's own, we're asking you to believe something that's really hard to believe. Particular place, particular time, in a manger, a baby was born, and this has something to do with the whole world being rewired, including my own heart. Like, let's just start with acknowledging that. That's a tough story to believe. That's helpful. It's helpful as we engage non-believers. Honesty is helpful. It's a baby king. We can be honest because of what I just said in verse point one, is that God brings light in dark places. None of us just kind of figured it out in our brain and got to the answer. God revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus. But then, as we engage someone that's not a believer about this baby king reality, we could say something like this. Imagine a world where there is a God. Just hypothetical. There's a God. And this God were to give good gifts to His people. Like He gives us a mind. And the mind, and all these medical people know, is so complex and so brilliant and so beautiful and so intricate. And we've taken this great, beautiful mind and we've turned it and we've twisted it to scheme against God, to scheme against one another, to divulge plans to actually hurt one another, to abuse one another, to oppress one another, to manipulate one another, to suppress the truth about who God is. Imagine that world. And then we've been given this body, an amazing body that can do amazing things, that can feel amazing pleasure and sensations, and can do all kinds of things. God, a Creator, if there was one, gave us a body like this, and then we take it and we use it to abuse each other. And we use it to mistreat one another. And we use it to take advantage and to barter and to bargain against one another and to, to do violence and to do harm against one another. Can you imagine that? And then we've taken things like authority and power, which are good things, innately good. And instead of using it for the vulnerable and the weak, we've used it to oppress. And we've taken the least and the lowest, and we've used strength and power to submerge, to submit them, to overwhelm them, to put them in bondage, to traffic them, to, to shift them as one human owning another human. Imagine a world like that, and yet a God made us, and we've done that. And then we all know, whether we confess God or not, deep down, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't know what it's supposed to be like, but it can't be what I see. It can't be what I experience. So you, you turn the tables and you say, what would you do in that situation? 
how would you fix the cosmic problem that we have with violence in the, in the world? That's a, quite a pickle, isn't it? What solution would you come up with? God comes up with this one. There's going to be a baby born. And this baby is going to be the king. This baby is actually going to be in the image of God. And this baby is going to demonstrate, he's going to embody what humanity is supposed to be like. He's going to be a glimpse, a picture of God's kingdom come on earth in the form of a baby. So what God does is so beautiful. God takes all the strength and all the power of all the schemes of humanity and He subverts them. Do you see how He does that? He takes the weak things, the vulnerable things, the unimportant things, and He cuts against the grain of how man operates and how man functions to tell a different story. A story we couldn't come up with. We wouldn't write this story. Israel didn't want this. They wanted a king to come back and kick the Romans out and establish the throne of David. And now we're being told the throne of David is going to end forever. The northern kingdom is about to be conquered. The southern kingdom is going to be conquered. David's kingdom was our hope, and now it's going to be gone. Bring power with power. He brings a baby. The beautiful mind of God brings a baby to be the light of the world. To rethink, to rewire, to reorient the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. This baby is no, no ordinary baby. He is a king. The government shall be upon his shoulders. The, ki- the baby is going to be what we all really want. <laughs> like we want to be governed well. We want to be ruled. I don't care what you think about American politics, but it's not going well. right? Let's just all name that. We want to be ruled with righteousness and justice. We can't even imagine that world. This baby's going to do that. Look at just a few things in verse 6 that we're told about this baby, this king. Advent, meditate on these. These are so rich, we don't have time to go into them in detail. Just meditate on these. It says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It's two nouns. Wonder of a Counselor. Counselor is the one that, that is wise, that administrates the kingdom of God. And he is divine, and he is wise, and he orchestrates. God knows what's best for you. Your story, he knows what's right and good, he's wise. He's also the mighty God. That one's pretty bold. Jewish scholars tend to have a problem with that. Not sure what to do with that in Isaiah 9. It says He's God. It says He is the mighty God. Not just a boy, not just a man, but He is God. This dark world I mentioned is uh, it's a God-sized problem. The darkness is that dark. It's It's in the woods on a cloudy night and there's no lights and there's no moon and there's no stars and we got no hope. It's going to take God to come and intervene. He's going to have to break through and He does. And He's the mighty God come to bring hope. It says He's the everlasting Father. The Father of eternity. He's a special King. Now He's not Father like the first person of the Godhead Father. He's like 
uh, fatherly. It's His character. It's like Abraham is the father of many nations. He is a good. He's not like the other kings of the earth. He's not like Alexander the Great or, I don't know, Genghis Khan or Henry VIII or Louis XIV or whoever president. He's not that kind of king. He's power and authority, but he's a benevolent. He's a fatherly, in all the good sense of fatherly. He's a father of all eternity. And a little baby. It's a crazy thought. And finally, he's the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. To have the armies all around you. To be encamped. To hear the, the soldiers marching and to know one day there's this vision and it's so certain it will happen and it's about peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Um, do you think our world needs to know peace? Does your world need to know? I know our world needs to know peace. Does your world need to know peace? Where, where's your anxiety? What's your anxiety over? Where are you afraid? Where are you scared? Where are you despairing? It takes honesty to name that. We don't want to do that. It's either to say, I'm fine, it's good, it's good. Or we can say, you know what, it's crazy out there, but my own life is kind of crazy. My work's crazy, I'm afraid. My family life, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not the dad I want to be, the husband I want to be. I'm not... Shame, guilt. Do you need peace? Advent, this, these weeks up into Christmas, are meant to give us hope, to give us peace as we reflect on what God has done. We just sang it, Noel. Come and see what God has done. Yes, we need to respond, we need to act, but we have to start with what God has done. That's our hope. That's the source. And of this, there will be no end, it says. There will be no end. There's nobody in Isaiah's context like this. No king in Israel is like this. This is only Jesus. The light, the one promised. John tells us He is the light of the world. He is the baby. He is the one come. He is the one to pierce the darkness. And John 1 says, and the darkness will not overcome it. Just take a collective like, I don't know what it's going on. Holidays are stressful. They shouldn't be. But they are. But the baby, Jesus, overcomes the darkness. God brings light. He brings light in the person of Jesus. Lastly and quickly, how should we respond? How should we respond? Uh, Advent forces us to wrestle with an already not yet kingdom. An already and a not yet kingdom. What do I mean? Well, we rejoice... Now, because the already has come, Jesus came. This prophecy, 700 years before Jesus, it came in Jesus. And so in verse 3 it says, they rejoice before as with joy in the harvest. He's telling them what they're going to do, the people of God are going to do down the road 700 years later. They're going to rejoice like the harvest came in. 
Like the spoils have been divided. That's how they're going to rejoice. And that day has come. And so we as God's people say, yes, God is faithful. He has come. We rejoice right now. One of the ways in the midst of our dark world, the way we push back evil is by rejoicing. When we come and worship right here, and when we worship Monday through Saturday in our workplaces, we take evil and we push against it. And darkness comes out and we got a little, you know, we got a little cell phone lighter, but we're, we're pushing it back by rejoicing because the King has come. That's what Jesus did. His whole ministry was doing kingdom stuff. It's going to be healing. We'll take the demons out. Right? We'll talk about what the kingdom's going to be like. Already, Jesus has come. He is already in Jesus is rewiring the world that He will reconcile all things to Himself. Not just you and Jesus, though that's important. The whole cosmos is being rewired right now by the King, Jesus. Think on that for a bit over Advent. But, we turn on the news too still, right? (laughs) We're not... Let's go to Advent and just turn off. We'll, do a, we'll move in the desert and build a monastery and it's like, nothing happens, we're good. We read the news. And so we, we, it's not what we want it to be. It's not yet. It's come. we got a peace. There's the light within us. But gosh, don't you want more? If you don't want more, you don't live here in this world. We want more. It's still dark. It feels deep darkness sometimes. And so we rejoice and we anticipate. We say this can't be everything. We want the one in the end that says, with justice and righteousness from this forth forevermore. I want that to be now. Does your heart want that? Advent is supposed to create this longing. It's come, but give us more. Bring the kingdom to bear. Give my heart life. Give me more in my work. Give me more in my marriage. Give me more in my parenting. Give us more in Midtown. Let's bring back light. Let's push the darkness. Let's take over these places where darkness is gaining ground. Let the kingdom come in full. Do you see the tension? It's mind-blowing. It's a baby in a manger. And this is all that's happening. He enters the world and the world just explodes with this new reality. The image of God. And this baby will die for us. He will accomplish all righteousness that we can live into that righteousness. Christians are called to do, and we're finished here, Christians are called to do some weird stuff. We're called to live in this tension of despair and hope. Despair and hope. They seem like they're opposites, but they're like really close together. It's like two sides of a coin. Isaiah 9 is, is, is in the context of deep despair. And the only way you and I know real hope, lasting hope, is if we come to that place of despair where we realize, like, I don't have it in me. Like, I can't fix it. We can't make the world right. And we come to despair 
we surrender. We wave the flag. We, we surrender. And we quit trying to build this kingdom on our own strength and effort. And we realize, oh yeah, the light shines into darkness. God's far more committed to us than we could ever be committed to Him and to His kingdom. Despair, hopelessness leaves us with nowhere else to go but Jesus. And my encouragement to you for Advent, Christ Redeemer, let's, let's look to Jesus. Let our hearts rejoice now. Let's sing with fervor because it's true. But let us anticipate more as we long for the full and final return of Jesus in this kingdom, this King of David, He will rule forever. May that be so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word.